It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 73, David and Goliath. In 1909, Luis Ginsburg created a very comprehensive work titled The Legends of the Jews. His book was created to compile all of the Jewish legends regarding their culture, the stories and bits of layered detail scattered from the Talmud and Midrash. It's a great book and a fascinating read. I like to compare it to the book of Jasher being rich and exciting, but here's the catch. You just have to know what you're reading. It's a book of legends, not history. And that's why we're going there today. I've faced a challenge, an interesting challenge over the last few months, thinking about this episode. I've been asking friends here and there, how can you tell one of the most famous and well-known Bible stories of all time from a different perspective? The most common opinion I got was to give a bit more detail on the antagonist. Goliath. No one knows much about this crazy giant. The Bible gives a lot of detail on his appearance, and there's a lot of background regarding giants and Nephilim in the Bible, but the true background behind Goliath himself is missing. So in a search for more detail, there was precious little regarding Goliath, even from the historical side and even Josephus. So I had to pull detail from Jewish legendary sources. Thus, Louis Ginsburg's Legends of the Jews. First, we will cover what the Bible says about Goliath, and then we're going to read the account of David and Goliath from the Legends of the Jews. Let's make it clear. We will do our best to make it clear what is history and what is not in this episode. Let's start with the biblical record and follow up with the Jewish traditional accounts. The Bible makes no reference of Goliath prior to the meeting with David in 1 Samuel 17, but the description of him is most dramatic. Here's a description of Goliath from 1 Samuel 17:4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. So a cubit was about a foot and a half, making Goliath about nine feet tall, which classifies him as a giant. And if we're looking for a reason for this ridiculous height, Goliath must have been a Nephilim. His armor was great, and he had a helmet on. He had armor for even his legs. He had a huge spear, and its iron point was crazy heavy. In essence, this guy was a giant Philistine Nephilim with a shield-bearer covered in bronze armor and iron weapons. Against this armor and giant was a 15-year-old boy with little armor and weaponry, but with the heart of a lion. What the Bible lacks in general detail on where he came from and how a giant came into the land to confront Israel. It leads to so many questions. 
Where did he come from? And who is this giant? All right, so let's set the scene before we tell the legend of Goliath. After the battle with the Amalekites and Saul's demonization, David continues to play his harp for Saul for a while and tends to the sheep while he is home. It appears to be one of those times when David is home when the Philistines confront the Israelites not terribly far from Bethlehem in the Valley of Elah. For 40 days, the Philistines taunt Israel, and a giant named Goliath stands on one hill and curses the Israelites and begs them to send a champion to fight him, winner take all. Saul reacts in fear, and it ripples through the camp. I imagine Saul was so crazed, he even prevented Jonathan from confronting Goliath. It is at this time that Jesse sends David with provisions to the camp of Israel to check on the battle and his older brother, who were in the army with Saul. It was when David, most likely 15 years old, who shows up in the camp of Israel and hears the cursing and shouting and challenging of Goliath, that he decides to take Goliath up on the challenge, and word comes to Saul that someone has the courage to attack him and fight this giant. Saul gives David his armor, but it doesn't fit him, so he doesn't wear the armor. And David, in a classic, aggressive narrative, states, Who devised the armies of the living God? As he runs to meet Goliath, Goliath curses David and comes at him. David, seizing five stones, placing one in his sling, and hurls it at the approaching giant. We're going to pause as the stone is in midair and talk about the Jewish traditional accounts of this story. All right, most of you know the quintessential underdog story of David and Goliath. We'll reserve the flying of the stone from David's sling for the end of the episode. So now we head to Lewis Ginsburg's work, Legends of the Jews. To tell the tale of Goliath, we have to go back to the time of Ruth. And all legends are generational. During the famous scene in the book of Ruth, now remember, bear with me, we're going way back in time. So in the famous scene in the book of Ruth, Naomi, the mother-in-law of Orpah and Ruth, is headed back to Bethlehem. She decides to leave the land of Moab because her husband died and her her two sons died, and she's left with her two daughters-in-law, and she decides to head back to Bethlehem, and she tells the two daughters-in-law to not go with her. According to the legends of the Jews, Orpah and Ruth were the daughters of Eglon. Remember the fat king of the Moabites from the Judge Ehud episode? On a side note, it's obvious these two ladies didn't look too much like their father. And in the famous scene where Ruth follows Naomi, where she declares, your God will be my God and your people my people. Orpah follows Naomi for 40 steps, sheds four tears before turning back. While Ruth goes on to remain with Naomi and care for the widow and go on to meet Boaz and marry him and be part of the line of David, Orpah, whose name means gazelle, ran like a gazelle from Naomi. 
In her distress, she ran as far away from Naomi's God as she could. Here's an excerpt from the Legends of the Jews. David and Goliath differed as widely as their grandmas. For in contrast to Ruth, pious and religious, Orpah had led a life of unspeakable infamy. Her son Goliath was jeered at as the son of a hundred fathers and one mother. All right, so regarding this statement that Goliath was the son of a hundred fathers and one mother, I've done a little research on this, and it leads down some crazy rabbit holes, and I'm not going to go there. So I'm going to leave it at that, that Jewish tradition holds Goliath was the son of a hundred fathers and one mother. All that being said, the Hebrew writers just vilified Orpah. No doubt she walked away from God or never knew him. Such a difference to Ruth, who pursued God with that gutsy statement, Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So all that being said, I'd like to lean upon the history of giants we know so far from the Bible. I personally go down the route of calling Goliath a Nephilim, but then that leads down other crazy paths that a fallen angel came down and conceived a line of giants through Orpah. There all... There are other theories, too, that Goliath was a descendant of the original Nephilim in the land because Joshua never totally took all the land, especially Philistine territory, and this line of giants was never killed off. Regardless, whether Orpah fathered Goliath through many a man or a fallen angel, or he was a descendant of the original giants, there was still giants in the land in the time of David, and Goliath was not the last of them. According to the legends of the Jews, Goliath was present at the battle when the ark was lost with the Philistines. It was Goliath who seized the ark, for he was around for generations. I can't help but consider he was suffering from hemorrhoids when Samuel smote the Philistines and Jonathan defeated them years later. But now we arrive at the time of David. Goliath has brothers too, three of them according to the book, but Goliath was the largest and strongest of them. So now we can follow David's lineage from Ruth, and according to Jewish tradition, Goliath's line from Orpah, and we arrive at the famous Valley of Elah, where David and Goliath meet each other. David, the scrawny boy of 15, approaches Goliath bent on his destruction. Goliath, the seasoned, generational warrior, was approached by a mere boy. Alright, so I think we're all caught up, so we're going to let the Legends of the Jews read for itself and conclude this episode. One last caveat, this is legend. Not to throw anyone off here. This is legend. Alright, here we go. Legends of the Jews by Luis Ginsburg. Encounter with Goliath. Her son Goliath was jeered as the son of a hundred fathers and one mother. But God lets nothing go unrewarded, even in the wicked. In return for the forty steps Orpah had accompanied her mother-in-law Naomi, Goliath the Philistine, her son, was permitted to display his strength and skill for forty days. And in return for the four tears Orpah had shed on parting from her mother-in-law, she was privileged to give birth to four giant sons. Of the four, Goliath was the strongest and greatest. What the scriptures tell about him is but a small fraction of what might have been told. The scriptures refrain intentionally 
from expediting upon the prowess of the miscreant. Nor do we tell how Goliath, impious as he was, dared challenge the God of Israel to combat with him, and how he tried by every means in his power to hinder the Israelites in their divine worship. Morning and evening he would appear in the camp at the very time when the Israelites were preparing to to say their prayers. All the more cause then for David to hate Goliath and determine to annihilate him. His father encouraged him to oppose Goliath, for he considered it David's duty to protect Saul the Benjamite against the giant, as Judah, his ancestor, had in ancient days pledged himself for the safety of Benjamin, the ancestor of Saul. For Goliath was intent upon doing away with Saul. His grievance against him was that once when in a skirmish between the Philistines and the Israelites, Goliath had succeeded in capturing the holy tables of the law. Saul had wrestled them from the giant. In consequence of this malady, Saul could not venture to cross swords with Goliath, and he accepted David's offer to enter into combat in his place. David put on Saul's armor, and when it appeared that the armor of the powerfully built king fitted the erstwhile slender youth, Saul recognized that David had been predestined for the serious task he was about to undertake. But at the same time, David's miraculous transformation did not fail to arouse his jealousy. David, for this reason, declined to array himself as a warrior for this contest with Goliath. He wanted to meet him as a simple shepherd. Five pebbles came to David of their own accord, and when he touched them, they all turned into one pebble. The five pebbles stood for God, the three patriarchs, and Aaron, Hophni, and Phinehas, the descendants of the last, had only a short time before had been killed by Goliath. Scarcely did David move towards Goliath when the giant became conscious of the magic power of the youth. The evil eye David cast on his opponent sufficed to afflict him with leprosy, and in the very same instant he was ridded to the ground, unable to move. Goliath was so confused by this impotence that he scarcely knew what he was saying, and he uttered the foolish threat that he would give David's flesh to the cattle of the field, as though cattle ate flesh. One can say, can see, David said to himself that he is crazy, and there can be no doubt he is doomed. Sure of victory, David retorted that he would cast the carcass of the Philistine to the fowls of the air. At the mention of fowls, Goliath raised his eyes skyward to see whether there were any birds about. The upward motion of his helmet pushed his visor slightly away from his forehead, and in that instant the pebble aimed by David struck him on the exposed spot. An angel descended and cast him to the ground, face downward, so that the mouth that had blasphemed God might be choked with earth. He fell in such a way that the image of Dagon which he bore on his breast touched the ground, and his head came to lie between the feet of David, who now had no difficulty in dispatching him. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Message to Kings. Stay tuned next week as we continue our coverage of David, the slayer of tens of thousands. 
Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question. Or if you want to chat, email at messagetokings at gmail.com.